0: Well, I want to get started in the Word of God right away. So if you've got your Bible, open to the book of John, chapter 19. We're going to be hanging there for just a few minutes this morning. It was June 2nd, 1953, that a young Princess Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth, walked down the aisle of Westminster Abbey to be crowned the Queen of England. She was watched by 8,251 attending guests, and 38 million people, 1953, 38 million people watched by way of television and many by radio. There were 2,000 journalists, over 500 photographers, 92 nations who joined in on this amazing coronation route. It was the most spectacular crowning of a royal that was ever witnessed, the crown. Let me talk to you about the beautiful crown that Princess Elizabeth Then Queen Elizabeth wore. It was made of solid gold. It was decorated with 2,800 diamonds, 2,800 diamonds, one of which, just one of those diamonds, was 105 carats. Can you imagine? This was a crown that was fit for royalty. The great opulence of this event with its adorning crowds, the ecstatic guests, the paparazzi that were there, that were all, it was a standard fit for nobility and for royalty. Now, I'd like us to flash back on this Resurrection Sunday morning to talk about another royal. His name was Jesus of the House of King David, should have been treated as royalty, but he too received a crown but he was treated very, very differently. And the crown that he received spoke not of his wealth and his opulence of this world, but it spoke to the very reason that Jesus Christ came. You see, Jesus had been teaching and healing and delivering and encouraging and freeing people for his earthly ministry over the past three years. And now the time had come. He prayed the night before in the garden where the Bible tells us that as he prayed, sweat, uh, as drops of blood came pouring from his forehead. That very night he was arrested. You might recall that Peter, one of his disciples, took out a sword and, and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers that was arresting Jesus. And Jesus was like, this isn't how it's going to be, guys. And he picks the ear up and he reattaches it to the guy. It's just a miracle to the guy's head. Peter, in fact, later on that evening early the next day, would deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. In fact, nearly all of his disciples would cower away over the next few hours. Then there was a series of mock trials that Jesus had to endure. For the most part, Jesus remained silent during these trials. But finally, Jesus is taken before Pilate, who knows that Jesus is innocent. In fact, Pilate knows so much that Jesus is innocent that he even offers up a chance for the people to release a prisoner thinking they would release jesus because he knew he was innocent and so they offer him he offers the people an opportunity to release one and they choose a convicted murderer a bad guy barabbas and so wanting to please the people because of fowat fear of what others think Pilate decided to give into their demands And Jesus was sentenced to death, death by crucifixion. Let me pick up the story from there in John chapter 19, the first three verses. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in purple, in a purple robe. And he went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Let's unpack that for a second. They had him flogged. What does that mean? They, they beat him. They, they like gang attacked him with fists, with clubs, with sticks. They beat him. They beat him just senseless. The Bible says they not just had him flogged, but they put a purple robe around him. At this point, he'd already been, been scourged. He's bleeding profusely. They put a purple robe around him, not to honor him, but to dishonor him. He was totally stripped naked. It was not a robe that was long and covering. It was just a short cloth that would cover his back that would sap, it would uh, seep all of the blood that was on his back and cause it to coagulate. And then a little later, they would rip it off of him just to start the pain and the bleeding all over again. Then they would mock him. They'd make fun of him. Hail, King of the Jews! Some of you know what it's like to be made fun of in an impossible situation that you can't get out of. And they struck him, the Bible says, they, they struck him in the face. The one thing that I want us to talk about today is I want us to talk about, about the crown of thorns, this crown of thorns that they placed upon the head of, of Jesus. The royal crown, the British crown, speaks of authority, it speaks of the power of sovereignty, it speaks of legitimacy speaks of victory and it speaks of glory. But it's all about man's glory and that, that glory will fade and will wither away. But what about the crown of thorns? What about, this, what about this crown? What does it symbolize? Well, I propose to you today that it symbolizes three things. And the first thing I would say is the crown of thorns symbolizes sin. And to fully understand that, we really do need to go back in the Bible all the way to the beginning, the book the book of Genesis, chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I need to remind you that this is before sin. Man was placed in the Garden of Eden to work it, to, to, to work the garden, to, 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 to work the land. Some people say, well, work didn't come until after sin came into the world. Well, that's not true. God created you to be productive. He didn't create you to spend 24 hours a day playing video games, y'all know what I'm talking about. He created you to spend your life in being productive. And so and so, man was created to work the ground in the garden. I think, I believe that because it was paradise and sin wasn't into the world, that every day um, Adam would get up with a pep in his step, not hardly waiting, he couldn't hardly wait to get out there and work that ground. And so at this point, everything was perfect. Adam was working the ground, he was put in charge of the gardener, we could call him the chief gardener because that's really really what he was. And, and I know that it was perfect because when we look at what scripture says after sin came into the world, in Genesis chapter three, look at verse 17. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, I'd like us to really understand, this is after sin. Remember, uh, the serpent comes into the garden and, and tempts them, and they eat the fruit of the tree, and sin comes into the world. They realize that they were naked. They were shamed for the first time in their lives. God tells us in this scripture that because of sin, it was manifested. It was evidenced by painful toil. Now, what seemed to be fun and rewarding Now you're working by the sweat of your brow. All the days of your life, it's going to be difficult. And some of you know exactly what that means. It goes on to say, because of the sin, you're going to experience thorns and thistles. Therein lies the story. See, from the very beginning, the only outward indication, the only tangible thing that God talked about, sweat of the brow and the toil of your work, that's intangible. But what's tangible is evidence. And the evidence of sin in the world are thorns. Thorns had never existed before. Now they exist in the world. The garden was now difficult to take care of. Now it was hard labor to take care of. It would never be the same. And all of this was due to sin. Thorns were introduced because of sin. In fact, thorns represent the very essence of sin and the curse. I think that's one of the reasons why the crown that was placed upon Jesus' head was a crown of thorns. By the way, every time you step on a goat head, you can thank Adam and Eve for that. Thorns symbolized sin, but number two, thorns also symbolize pain. I learned something. Some of you may already know, and I don't recall knowing this before, but the thorn branches that were used to put to create the crown of thorns to put upon the head of Jesus was from a plant called euphorbia. Euphorbia is a plant that is evil through and through. Its white, sticky sap that that comes out of its thorns are toxic chemicals that will cause your eyes to swell and could even bring about temporary blindness. When it comes in contact with your skin, you will experience tremendous pain, especially if the skin is broken, and we know the skin was broken on Jesus. It's commonly known uh, to kill dogs, cats, goats, and even horses. Once it enters the bloodstream, one of the results is it causes horrific blisters in the throat. And in the mouth, severe stomach pain and chronic nonstop vomiting. I can't even imagine going through the excruciating pain of having euphorbia thorns shoved into my skull. And, and the blood. There would have been so much blood. Emergency room doctors and nurses see a lot of bleeding in, in, in the head wounds due to profuse vascular. Uh, vascularity of the scalp and denseness of the connective tissues which holds vessels open when the scalp is lacerated. Sounds really good, doesn't it? In other words, the head bleeds a whole lot. For this reason, even a small cut, small laceration on the head causes considerable bleeding and the soldiers press those thorns into his already bleeding scalp. It must have hurt so badly the thorns represent sin the thorns represent pain but thirdly the thorns represent humiliation the crown is supposed to be a symbol of royalty it's supposed to be a symbol of honor but the crown of thorns was created with the opposite intent the goal of a crown of thorns was to humiliate was to embarrass was to dishonor jesus to cause him emotional pain and i I believe that emotional pain can be a whole lot more difficult to bear than physical pain. And it was painful. Hail, King of the Jews, they shouted. The crown of thorns symbolized a lot. I don't think it was an accident that those soldiers, they may not have known what they were doing, but God knew that he was going to use what they were doing when they reached and they twisted together that makeshift crown out of the euphorbia plant and its thorns so there's jesus accused of sin which he did not do in tremendous physical pain and humiliated beyond belief but he was innocent why did he endure such torture why did he accept all of this agony because he came with one purpose in mind one goal one destination and that was the cross So next, Jesus is forced to carry his own cross up a hill called Golgotha, where they nailed him to it. First his hands, then his feet. In fact, when I think about his feet, I think he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, for our our stupid choices. He, He was pierced, not just his feet, but also, also, also his, his head. In other words, from the top to the very soles of his feet, he was pierced through and through for you and for me. They raised the cross and Jesus was suspended there between heaven and earth for six hours, six hours, unable to breathe, bleeding profusely in the heat of the day. The only way that he could take a breath because he couldn't breathe when he was down was to push up on the nails, on uh, piercing through his feet and finally after they gave him a a sip of the cheapest wine vinegar there was which is ironic because the first miracle that Jesus did when he came to earth was to turn water into wine the, the choicest of wines and yet now they're giving him a sip of the cheap cheap stuff just to humiliate him even more he then declares these three words it is finished and he bows his head And he dies. Just to make sure that he was dead, the Bible tells us that they took a spear and they stabbed him in the side. Water and blood flowed out. What does that mean? That means there wasn't any blood left in his body. Because when water flows out, that means you're tapped. There's no more blood left. Jesus gave it all. Then they lowered him, and they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And for three days, between the crucifixion, his death, and the resurrection, him coming back to life again. That in-between time that we don't even have a holiday to celebrate is when the greatest battle on earth ever took place. Jesus descended into the pit of hell, paying the price for your sins and for mine, and for our children, and our children's children. He paid the price. The battle was waged. And on the third day, Mary went to the graveside and she discovered that Jesus was gone. I'd like you to look at John chapter 20 and I just want to read a few verses beginning at verse number 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels. I got to thinking about that. Some of you might recall the message that I taught not too long ago about angels. We taught you that there were different levels of angels and archangels were at the top, and there were three archangels. There was Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer. Lucifer rebelled and was expelled from heaven, who is Satan today. I believe the two angels that were standing at the foot and at the head of Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, were the two top archangels. Two angels, white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot, And they asked her woman why are you crying they have taken my lord away she said and and i don't know where they put him at this she turned around and saw jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was jesus woman he said why are you crying who is it that you're looking for thinking he was the gardener she said sir if you have carried him away tell me where you've put him and i will go get him and jesus said to her mary And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. To my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God, Jesus said. This is the first time that Jesus ever declared this. You see, the veil had been torn in two. The price had been paid. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a church to have communion and fellowship and talk to God. You can talk directly to God. He is available to you day and night in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the mountaintop, in the middle of the valley. He's available to you every day of your life. Every hindrance, every obstacle, every stronghold has been torn down. You have free access to almighty God. Yes. Talk to him. I found it fascinating that Mary thought that he, it says, uh, she, it says that she thought that he or assumed that he was the gardener. And I thought, why is that even in there? Why do we need to know what she thought? Does it really matter? That, and yet I know that everything in the Bible is there for a reason and there's a purpose for every word that's in there. And then I thought about it for a little while. Well, yeah. Remember, Adam was the original chief gardener, taking care of the Garden of Eden, taking care of the ground. And then when he sinned and his wife sinned, sin entered into the world and it manifested itself in a very tangible way by thorns in the ground that he was working. Now it was by toil, by the sweat of his brow. Now you can't, you know you can't just take out a thorn bush at the surface. You've got to take it out at the root. And if you take it out at the root, hopefully it will not come back and destroy the garden. Now Jesus is mistaken by Mary to be assuming he was thinking he was the gardener. And I think to myself, was that just an accident? And then I thought, I bet it's not an accident. Because really, I think Jesus was the gardener. Because the first Adam, who took care of the garden, had sinned, and now there was roots of sin manifesting itself as thorns and thistles in our lives. Y'all know when you get a thorn in your foot, it can distract you from the mission that God has you in your life. It causes you to focus all of your attention on what's ailing you, the irritant. Jesus came. And he didn't just take it out at the surface level. He went down into the pit to root it out of your life so that you could be free from the snare, the web of deception known as sin in your life. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's the price that Jesus paid. You see, Jesus' death upon the cross and his resurrection, his returning from the dead turned the crown of thorns into something very, very different for you and for me. It changed the crown of thorns into, first of all, a crown of victory. Before Jesus ever, before Jesus ever came and paid the price, we know that every sin that we ever committed would be held against us. The Bible is very, very clear about that. God will not entertain sin. Therefore, if we have any sin inside of us, any wickedness inside of us, God would not permit us to enter into his presence. Because sin separates you from God. Colossians tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13, he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He took it all away. That very thing, it reminds us that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, so was the record of all our sins. When when we give our lives to Jesus, we have victory but it's also transforming the crown of thorns into a crown of royalty. Jesus is the king of all kings. There's one, Jesus is the king of all kings, amen? Amen. Jesus is the Lord of all lords. And he doesn't just invite us to be a guest at his table. He invites us to be part of the family. That's a big deal. When we think about the royal family in England, royalty is passed down through what? Through the bloodline. And so it is with Jesus. John chapter 15, verse number five. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is Jesus saying? The vine rises from the earth. Jesus is the vine. As long as the branch, that's you and me, stay connected to the vine, we get it we get our nutrients from the vine. But if we're not connected to the vine, then the branch is dead. It's dead. What am I saying? You Me, the branch, are grafted into the vine, Jesus. And when we're grafted into the vine of Jesus, we now share the same DNA. We now share the same bloodline. And since Jesus is king, when you're connected to Jesus and you have his blood flowing through your veins, you are also royalty in the eyes of almighty God. That's what he gives to us. He transformed the crown of thorns, a crown of torment and hatred and strife and pain and humiliation and sin into a crown of victory and into a crown of royalty. But thirdly, he transforms the crown into a crown of freedom, freedom. The wonderful thing about following Jesus as your Lord and your Savior is you get to choose. God will never manipulate you. He will never coerce you. He will never cause you or force you to do anything. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God is a perfect gentleman. He will never make you do anything the choice is yours. John chapter 8 verse number 36 tells us, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus turned it into a crown of freedom for you today. That is why we celebrate resurrection sunday that is why easter is the crowning moment of the christian calendar this is the reason jesus came jesus was born and we love to celebrate christmas Jesus came and we're so grateful that he came as the babe in Bethlehem. But Jesus came not to live. Jesus came to die. And after he died, he did battle. And after he did battle, he rose triumphantly and victoriously conquering sin, hell, death, and the grave so that we can have hope and hope eternally. That's the reason Jesus came. There is a story about a Missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a very large river, but this tribe was in terrible need of medical attention a contagious disease was ravaging their population. People were dying every day of this disease. And we can kind of connect and relate to this a little bit. The missionaries knew that there was a hospital close by, but none of the tribe members were willing to go to the hospital. And when they found out why, they thought, well, we can help them with this. The reason they wouldn't go to the hospital was because the hospital was across the river. And they would never cross the river because the Indians believed that the river was inhabited by evil spirits. And to enter that water meant certain death. So the missionary went through a process. The missionary, first of all, explained to them with his words how he had crossed the river when he came to be with them. And he was unharmed. But they were unimpressed by his explanation. So he then took took them to the bank of the river and he showed them as he placed his hand in the water and turned it around and he was just fine. So, but they still were unimpressed with what he was showing them. So next he decided, well, I'll demonstrate for you. So he walked into the water until he was waist deep and he began to splash the water on himself and said, guys, look, I'm not dying. Everything is just fine. They still were not willing to go into the water. So after he explained it, after he showed them, after he demonstrated to them, all of which were good things, he realized it's time for me to go all in. So he dove into the river and he swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side. And when he emerged on the other side of the river, he rose his hand up in triumphant victory. And all of the tribesmen and women that were watching at the bank of the shore cheered. And then they followed him into the river and they went to the other side where they discovered healing, fresh and anew. It's kind of what Jesus did as I read the story. Jesus came and he explained through his teaching, tried to tell us, the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus not only explained it to us, he showed us through miraculous powers and healing and then even demonstrated it for us. And Jesus in the end went all in because we needed more. Jesus entered the river of death and came out on the other side so that we might no longer fear death but find eternal life in him jesus went all in and here's what i know i know about all of us every one of us in person and online every one of us deserves to be wearing this crown every one of us should be wearing the crown of sin the crown of humiliation the crown of shame the crown of scorn the crown of pain every one of us deserves that crown because we all struggle with sin there is no holier than thou person in here we've all endured much pain and can i just be real with you we've all caused much pain we've all experienced humiliation and the truth be told we've all divvied out a whole lot of humiliation in our lives as well But because of Easter, because of what Jesus did, because the grave is empty, because Jesus lives, we can experience victory and we can experience royalty, we can experience forgiveness, we can experience new life and freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. So for those who are in Christ, followers of Jesus, there is no more guilt. There's no more. There's no more shame. We can experience joy unspeakable, full of glory. The only way I know how to, how to explain this, train this, is when you can stand at the side of a, the grave side of a loved one tears can be streaming down your face and yet you still got joy in your heart it's unspeakable it's full of glory that's what God gives to us the peace that passes all understanding when everybody else is looking at you and going why aren't you a wreck and you might feel like you're a wreck on the inside but God is holding you so tightly holding you together God is doing that passes all understanding I don't get it all I know is it's real it doesn't mean life isn't gonna suck sometimes because it does in fact Jesus even said in this world yeah this world you're gonna have all kinds of trouble take heart I've overcome the world it even says that Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. My question for you today as Pastor Trinity comes is don't you want that today? Don't you want that at a deeper level today? Don't you want more of God? Paul said, you must increase and I must decrease. Would you bow your hearts and your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer today?